Blog Talk Radio. This is Pat Solver with the Doctor Ways In, and boy, are we going to have fun today because I have a repeat customer. Abner Mason, who is the founder and CEO of Consejo Sano, and um, he told me when I first interviewed him, which was mid-2014, that he founded it because, listen to this, he believes that every person deserves a chance to talk to a doctor when they are sick. And since we're in the middle of this uh, healthcare debate where it's not clear that everybody on either side of that issue believes that it is really refreshing to talk to a CEO, CEO who does. So, Abner, I thought we would start out. First of all, welcome. Thank you. And, glad to glad to be and, back. Thank you. Yeah, great. And I thought we'd start out by having you tell our listeners. Uh, I mean, what is Conseo Sano? How does it work? Is it is it telemedicine or is it really something else? Sure. Um, well, Conseo Sano is a, a digital health company that's focused on bridging the gap that exists between Spanish speakers and the U.S. health system. Um, our system here in the U.S. is a, is a great health system, um, but it's English-focused uh, for obvious reasons. It's an English-speaking country. But over the past couple of decades, the fastest-growing demographic has been Hispanics and in particular Spanish speakers. And there's a very large population of, of uh, uh, people in the country uh, who uh, either only speak Spanish or need to speak Spanish when they're talking to a health care uh, provider. And so that creates a gap between the Spanish speakers and the health care system. So Conseo Sano exists to try to bridge that gap. We are fundamentally an engagement company, how, trying to connect, uh, better connect Spanish speakers with the U.S. health system. And so how exactly are you doing that? Um, where are you sure. Spanish-speaking doctors? Sure. So when we we realized that there was uh, an opportunity for us to bridge that gap, uh, we did some focus groups with, with Spanish speakers, and we found that they were looking for a number of things. Um, one was they wanted access to uh, healthcare providers, and in particular doctors. Uh, within the Hispanic community, the doctor is very important, has a very special uh, status. And so they wanted to be able to talk to a doctor who was a native Spanish speaker, who was linguistically uh, appropriate for them, but also culturally appropriate. They were looking for something beyond, you know, a robot who, could, who would translate in, uh, an English into Spanish. They wanted someone who understood them and their culture and their needs. Uh, they wanted someone who, that when they interacted with them, uh, understood so much about their culture that they could almost uh, uh, figure out when there was more to the story than was being described. Uh, that's that you know that's a great doctor-patient relationship, and the doctor so understands. Uh, the patient, that even when the patient isn't telling the full story, the doctor is aware and knows how to ferret out what's really happening. So that's, you know, that's healthcare in, our, in my view at its best, and we were trying to figure out how we could do that. Uh, there, uh, there are about 50 to 55, 60 million uh, Hispanics in the U.S., a full third only speaks Spanish, another, two, another third uh, needs to speak Spanish when they're dealing with healthcare. So we're talking about 40 million people um, and there are just not enough healthcare providers in the U.S. who speak Spanish to meet that need. 
Um, and so we, we were uh, challenged to say, okay, how can we connect Spanish speakers with a native Spanish speaking doctor uh, who could help them? Uh, and we'll talk about the ways in which the doctor helps them, but who could interact with them? And we realized pretty quickly you couldn't do it with U.S. resources. Even in California, which is 40% Hispanic, only 5% of doctors speak Spanish. So, and, uh, and I want to interrupt you just for a second to sure. tell a story. When uh, Years ago when I was an emergency physician at Kaiser Permanente, I actually was one of the Spanish translators. I learned Spanish as an adult, so you know that I never – could or would be able to speak it like a native speaker. And if you bring in a translator, you've just lost so much because you say, you ask your question, you don't know how the translator translated it, and when the person answers, again, it has to go through a translator who may or may not really understand what the patient said or pick up all the nuances. So it's this native Spanish speaker piece of what you're doing that's so important. Exactly, exactly. And since there's just not enough uh, uh, native Spanish-speaking uh, healthcare providers in the U.S., we did something at Caseo Sana, which, you know, uh, two and a half years ago, three years ago, which at the time, as you remember, Pat, people thought, this is just impossible. You can't do this. We said, why don't we partner with, uh, with a telemedicine provider in Mexico? It's just across the border. Um, the two-thirds of all the Hispanics in the U.S. come from Mexico. So I thought by starting with a, a Mexican a telemedicine partner, it would be not only linguistically perfect, but also culturally perfect um, for at least two-thirds of the total uh, Hispanic population in the U.S. And in California and Texas, for instance, it's even higher, like 85% of, 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 of Hispanics come from uh, Mexico. So I thought this would be a great way to bridge that gap, but it hadn't been done before. And this is key to what, was, uh, what we talked about in the last interview, and it's even become clear as we've uh, grown the company we were never trying to replace the U.S. doctor. We were trying to use licensed practicing physicians in Mexico, so a telemedicine, uh, um, uh, a doctor providing telemedicine services in Mexico to connect with a Spanish speaker in the U.S. to help drive engagement, to explain to the Spanish speaker in the U.S. what their U.S. doctor was not taking the time to explain to them, because, not because he or she didn't want to, but because they couldn't. They just didn't understand the language and culture. And so uh, as we uh, started to talk with potential clients, um, we realized pretty quickly that, that we were on to something pretty powerful because we weren't trying to, again, I'm repeating this to just make it clear, we weren't trying to replace the U.S. healthcare provider. We're trying to drive engagement to the U.S. healthcare provider. We're trying to bridge that gap. And, and as we started to talk with potential clients about that uh, aspect of our service, uh, it became pretty clear that there was a huge need and a huge interest on the part of payers in the U.S., and by payers, I mean, you know, corporations for their Spanish-speaking uh, employees and family members, provider groups for their Spanish-speaking patients, and also health plans for their Spanish-speaking insured. In all, all three of those cases, there was a, 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 a real interest in, in bridging the gap and helping Spanish speakers in the U.S. to better access their services, to use them more efficiently, um, and to really complement what was being provided by what was more often than not an English-speaking uh, healthcare provider in the U.S. And so that's what we focused on, and, and the business has, the company has, has grown very nicely uh, as a result of that. So I want to I dive into that because there's a whole bunch of pieces there that are really important. Um, the first one is when, when you first started the company, you were, 
you were targeting consumers as your customers. And you even talked about um, individuals gifting other family members with a subscription to your services. And now it appears like you're also targeting or maybe instead targeting big companies, employers, and health plans. So how has the actual delivery of your service changed over time? Because when you were targeting consumers, that was giving medical information, advice, whatever the proper term is, so you didn't cross over into practicing medicine with your service because you made it clear you weren't trying to practice medicine. But that's really different than if what you're trying to do now is to help these um, consumers better engage with their U.S. Uh, physicians as opposed to mainly using the Mexican physicians as their source of care. Help us understand that. Sure. Um, it comes down to, I, I joke with, I talk with a lot of other CEOs in the healthcare space, and there's a common uh, kind of uh, uh, a conversation that we have, and, and most of us can laugh about, um, and it is this. Every uh, entrepreneur in healthcare, not every, but you know, if you have a service that is, that is uh, designed to be used by uh, the consumer, we all think that we can go direct to consumer and the consumer will buy it. We think we have a great service. It's, it adds value. It, uh, it helps solve problems and that the consumer the, in the U.S. will buy it. Um, what we found with Conseo Sano, and, I, and for full disclosure, I, you know, I think it's important to, for me to share this with other entrepreneurs uh, to learn our, the lesson we should have learned because people did tell me this. Uh, maybe I didn't take the advice as, as strongly um, as, as, as I should, and I'll tell you a reason for that in just a minute. Um, but we decided to go direct to consumer, um, thinking that we could convince consumers to pay for our service. Uh, in healthcare, it's very hard to get consumers in the U.S. to pay for their healthcare. Um, it's a, I challenge you to find a company who is doing it in a big way. It's very hard to do. Everyone tries to go direct to consumer, and it's just difficult because there's a and Even though long, you were pretty inexpensive, you, if I recall right, you were it, charging $9.99 for a family of five. And, I, and, exactly. and, and you reminded me that that was kind of like pennies, uh, but exactly. you still couldn't get consumers to buy it. Yeah, we have not crossed over in the U.S. to where consumers will pay uh, for their health care. Typically, they get it through their employer or through, some, or through a government program. Um, they pay a premium, and they feel like if they're paying their premiums, they shouldn't uh, and don't want to pay out of pocket. So it's very hard to get consumers to, uh, to pay for health care direct to consumer. We, we, uh, we knew that, and people told us that, and I had you know modest expectations, um, but even those expectations weren't met. Um, the other, but but with that said, the other reason we did uh, direct to consumer initially is because it's really the only way to test to see if your service has value and people will use it and if it is working. And so the don't, going to direct to consumer did do that. We didn't generate enough volume of of, of uh, consumers paying to have a viable business model direct to consumer, um, but we did get enough volume to know that the ser people like the service, we could deliver the service, a high quality service. And um, we were very, and since uh, like a lot of health tech companies at an early stage, 
um, you don't have large clients. You, it's hard to get a large client. Um, so it's not as though we said we're not going to work with large clients. We're going to go direct to consumer. We didn't have any large clients, corporates or <laughs> provider groups or plans to work with. So you have to go direct to consumer. We, uh, and we learned a lot from that. But here's the, what happened to us is very fortunate. Uh, in the process of that, of that learning um, period, uh, Mercer, which is the largest employee benefits company uh, in, the, in the country, actually in the world, I think, but certainly in the country, um, they heard about our service and said, look, we believe that this is an ideal service for us to uh, offer uh, to our corporate uh, clients. A lot of companies that, that a lot of our clients have substantial uh, Spanish-speaking employee populations, and our, our clients have fantastic benefit programs, but there's never been anything in the marketplace, never that we've been able to offer that's, that really spoke to the needs of Spanish speakers. And it's, since it's the fastest growing part of the population in, in places like California and Texas, it's, uh, it's 40%, 30% of the population. They're a large employee population. So we worked with Mercer and their labs group, fantastic people there, a guy named David Kaplan ran that group. Um, and they, uh, after about a year of diligence and, and really having us meet some clients and get feedback, we, we formed a partnership with Mercer that allowed us to uh, – uh, become a preferred vendor for Mercer. And so they started to introduce us to their corporate clients and that allowed us to grow, uh, to actually get some corporate clients and demonstrate that corporate clients would buy our service, um, that it was uh, valuable to them um, and that we could deliver it uh, in a really uh, uh, compelling and, 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 and great way. So uh, that was a big step toward us breaking into the payer verticals uh, away from directing us so into have the payer verticals. You hit the jackpot. You hit the Mercer jackpot. That's just a great story uh, because, as you said, everybody starts out thinking they can get the consumer to buy their product, and when they figure out they can't, they then discover that trying to sell to the big customers is one-off, like approaching health plans or approaching employers, that the, that the selling cycle is so long that it's exactly. hard for a startup to survive. So congratulations on, <laughs> on having the good fortune to hit this jackpot. Thank you. We were very fortunate, and, and, we, and the relationship with Mercer continues. I was just actually on a webinar this morning with Mercer Consultants, um, who are who uh, we every year brief on the new products, uh, the new services that that we uh, and features that we've added to the to Casey Osano. So our corporate accounts are growing, um, and we've also recently uh, uh, reached uh, been talking with other sort of channel partners like that for the corporate market. So that that particular vertical, the corporate market, uh, serving employees and their family members is very important to us. But equally important uh, is the, are the other two verticals, the provider groups and the, uh, the health plans. In fact, in a, from my perspective, um, perhaps even more important because uh, one of the key uh, uh, demographic facts about Hispanics in the U.S. is that they're disproportionately lower uh, income and so qualify for Medicaid. And so provider groups that are serving Medicaid populations and health plans that, are, uh, that, prov that, are, uh, that have Medicaid uh, health, uh, health plans are key targets for us. Um, we just started a relationship with a large provider in Southern California. Um, it's a net risk prov uh, prov provider, so they're, they're taking risk on, uh, on an almost uh, totally uh, Medicaid population or Medi-Cal, as we call it in California. Um, and so we, uh, it really fits with our mission to uh, help provide real uh, high-quality health care navigation and engagement services 
to uh, a population, the Medicaid population, it's very hard to serve. You probably know this, Pat. It's a, these people are lower income typically. Um, they have a lot of uh, issues around the financial stability in the family. Um, and so uh, figuring out a way to provide high-quality health care to them in a, in, a, in a way that is affordable remains a challenge, and we're just excited to be part of trying to solve that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And as we've um, expanded under the ACA, who knows what's going to happen with it going forward, but at least to this point, the expansion of Medicaid has been hugely important in reducing the number of people who are uninsured. Uh, but I want to take a little bit of a, of a left turn here. Um, when we talked in 2014, of course, at that time you were targeting consumers as your customers, but you did um, talk about, uh, and it was a very different time politically, um, but we talked about how you wanted to provide care to people regardless of their legal status. Um, and you did that by not really asking for any information besides an email to access the services. You weren't asking them to prove whether they were a citizen or not. Now that you have more of a corporate strategy, uh, I, I'm wondering, are you still providing services to people um, who are undocumented? Um, and, um, and if that's the case, given the political climate now, are your, are your lawyers still okay with what you're doing? It's <laughs> a good, good question. <laughs> uh, so it had, you know, I started Conseo Sano because I, had, I have a belief uh, that everyone deserves to have high-quality health care, and to me, central to that is being able to communicate with your health care provider, to have a relationship that's trusted, uh, with the healthcare provider, if you can't talk to them and they can't talk to you in a in a way that that you actually uh, communicate um, at the at, at a deeper level, um, I don't think it's great. It's not good healthcare, and, and you're going to end up with poor outcomes. And so uh, we remain committed to that. When we uh, uh, had the opportunity uh, that we have now to sell into the corporate market and the the provider market, uh, I call them verticals, so the corporate vertical, the provider vertical, and the health plan vertical, um, we as a company, Conseil Sano, has, our values remain the same. We want to serve everyone regardless of their uh, of their of their status in terms of immigration. Um, when we so we don't ask for anything and still don't. We work with any uh, with the employees of any company, and then the company has to you know follow the guidelines and the law. So that's uh, and we ex certainly expect them to to do that. Um, but we don't uh, uh, have any uh, way of or desire really to uh, go beyond what uh, uh, the employers that we work with, the files they give us in terms of eligible employees that they want to cover. Um, in the case of, of uh, provider groups and Medicaid, as you know, some states like California are a bit more progressive than others and actually provide, if you're a pregnant woman, for instance, um, you, can, you can get Medicaid regardless of legal status. And so we would gladly serve uh, that person. So our goal is to, uh, is to provide navigation and engagement services in such a way that not only will Spanish speakers use our services and really value them, but payers will see the value of using our service because it will save money. And ultimately, we think that is a part, it's not the whole part, as you know, but it's a part of the solution to making healthcare more broadly available. If we can better control costs, um, and, and, and we're just one tiny little bit of that, you know, piece of that. But if you can look at the bigger healthcare challenge in the U.S., if we can get a better handle on costs, um, it might be easier to expand access more. Uh, so 
our view is that we're part of the solution. Um, we want to serve everyone. That's the key value for us. Um, and we think if we can be part of helping to drive better outcomes at a lower cost, we're moving. We're helping to move the country in the direction of more of, of access for everyone. Well, that's um, that's fantastic. Uh, and and another thing that's fantastic is that you recently raised almost five million dollars um, in your Series A. So congratulations and um, thank you. What are you going to do with all that money? Are you buying a little island in the Caribbean? Or are you going to provide some new services? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what's it? we are uh, a couple. First thing, you know, I'm grateful to our investors. Um, we've got a great group of in, of investors. Uh, seven of our ventures out of out of Chicago, um, a fantastic group. Um, Tufts Health Plan. They have created a new venture arm, Tufts Health Ventures. So they've invested. Um, uh, we've got uh, Wang. Chung uh, uh, Healthcare Investments Group has has come in, and then a number of impact investors, uh, Impact Engine, Acumen, uh, and uh, as well as uh, uh, Oxion Partners, uh, they've they've come in as well, and then Total Impact Capital, another impact investor. So we've got uh, a fantastic group of investors who are backing us, and they're bringing not only money but also their networks and their advice, which we're grateful for. Um, and so what we want to do with, with the funds is to build out our team, particularly our technical team. What's happened as we have had success in the corporate vertical, and now we are uh, provi- we're serving uh, uh, provider groups, they require a much deeper level of integration. And now we're talking with health plans, and they require an even deeper level of integration. So we need to, to uh, build, up, uh, build our, our tech team uh, so that we can provide that level of integration. Um, we also have to build out you know, other aspects of, of our team. Of our team, including uh, sales and account management and, and, and engagement staff. So uh, we, we're going to use the funds mostly for human capital to build a team. Um, we will finally uh, open an office. You know, I, I, a lot of uh, my healthcare um, entrepreneur friends, we laugh about uh, uh, when do you get an office or not. And we've never had an office. We've operated very lean for the last couple of years um, being virtual. And so uh, we wanted to use the money for building the, you know, the, uh, the basically human capital to build a company. Um, and so now this, this raise does allow us uh, to, to open an office, which is important as you grow um, to have a place where you can bring staff on a regular basis because um, building the culture of the company is also important. Yeah, absolutely. And as you were describing uh, the integrations that you need to do, one question came to mind, which is, uh, are you now or is part of that money going to go towards being able to integrate the information um, that is collected between the conversation with the Mexican doctors and the patient into the electronic health record of their U.S. providers? Sure, uh, and I should have noted this, but you know, we started you know, two years ago when I talked to you, Pat. We had one um, tool like, uh, or uh, one service, and that was access to a native Spanish-speaking doctor, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, via an app or an 800 number. So that was uh, as we as we've sort of uh, uh, grown our customer, our client base. We've we've also grown uh, the services that we offer. So that first tool is really important for building trust. Um, have, being able to talk to a native Spanish-speaking doctor is really a powerful tool for building trust. But if you think about it, it's a passive tool. We have to wait for someone to call us. What we introduced shortly after I talked with you a couple of years ago um, is we introduced two-way SMS. 
um, so to a, uh, text messaging that allows us to proactively reach out to uh, our Spanish-speaking users. Um, and that's been a very powerful uh, a tool for driving engagement because it's not passive. We don't have to wait. We can actually reach out. And, and for our provider groups, uh, for example, one of the, the providers we're working with now, one of the areas they're really interested in, in helping us help them with is, is driving HEDIS measures, meaning these, these prevention uh, activities that are required, uh, uh, the health plan requires of the provider. An example is uh, babies under two years old have to get a certain group of vaccines, the combo 10. Uh, and so the moms and dads, they're Spanish speakers, uh, many of them are not bringing their kid in to, their, to be vaccinated. So the key for us is to build a relationship of trust with that mom or that dad, that Spanish-speaking mom or dad. Um, these are Medicaid uh, patients, so these are lower-income folks, understanding what's keeping them from bringing the baby in and trying to address that issue. And the goal is ultimately to get that mom or dad to bring that baby in before, by the time they're two to get the vaccines that are required. Um, so that's, so we, we uh, are, use a mix of tools to do that, including reaching out via two-way SMS. Um, and so to answer your question, Pat, that does require us now to uh, integrate with the electronic health record. We need to know what vaccines that baby has had because it's a combination and they're not given all at the same time. And so for us to be able to reach out to that mom or that dad and tell him or her, her or him which vaccine they need to bring the baby in for, we have to integrate with the, with the electronic record and say, uh, your, your baby is due for uh, a given vaccine. And so we are doing that, and, and um, that's an important part of what we're using the funds for, to, to, to build out that level of integration. Yeah, that's, that's really fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We're in this political um, time now where there's a uh, – kind of a negative attitude towards international or globalization and yet what you've done is to is to globalize in a sense right to to leapfrog over a border to provide better services to people who are here in the US and I'm going to ask just one political question and then we'll close with some success stories and the political question is um, we have been hearing that that people um, who are immigrants are really nervous about what's going on with um, with the new approach to uh, deporting people, and that they're 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 not even showing up for work in some cases. They're afraid to leave their houses and to get the kinds of services that they usually uh, do get. Um, have you seen any impact of that on access to your services, which of course are are telephonic and and they don't have to leave the home? We haven't yet, um, and that may be a reflection of a lot of our clients, our early clients are in Southern California, and California um, has been a, a state that has uh, in many ways made it clear that they have a broader, more inclusive vision um, than some other states. And so uh, my hope is that you know California, and I expect this will be the case, that California will continue to be a place where you know we really value diversity, um, and that we will go, we will take the steps to expand access, because not only because it's the right thing to do, but it's also uh, produces better outcomes and ultimately saves money. So I think California is on the right path. Since a lot of our clients are in California now, we probably haven't seen as um, as much of what you've described as maybe some companies that serve other parts of the of the country. Um, but one of our goals is to work with with clients in California to become examples of high quality healthcare delivery at a lower cost 
um, because I do think that's part of, it's not the only issue, but it's part of uh, building the broader case for access, that if we can do it in a high-quality way with great outcomes at a, you know, at a reasonable cost, um, it puts us in a much stronger position uh, to, to make the case for expanded access. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and so I thought what we do, Abner, is to close by having you tell us um, your favorite success story. Tell us about a client, you don't have to say the name, that Consejo Sano has helped, and, and speculate on what you think would have happened if, if your company was not an option for them. Uh, sure. Um, I'll use the, We're working with a provider, and they have, um, they're a fantastic group. Um, provider, their net risk provider, um, but they have been struggling with getting. And I'll go back to the example I gave because I'm I'm proud of the success we're seeing. Um, they've been struggling with getting moms and dads to bring their babies in, in part because of what's been in the media. As you know, there's a lot of discussion in the media. Uh, I don't agree with it, but that the vaccines cause autism or the vaccines cause other problems or that there's somehow a conspiracy and vaccines are bad. Um, and, and we initially thought that that was just, you know, wealthy parents in, in, in the Bay Area. But it turns out as we did focus groups. Exactly, right. You know, we first thought maybe it's just that. But it turns out that that way of thinking has permeated the media to the point where um, everyone uh, is is aware of it, and a lot of moms and dads, uh, particularly if you are in a if you don't speak the language of the country you're in, you're even more likely to to be. Uh, concerned about whether you're getting the full story and who can I trust and what's the right thing to do for my baby. And so this particular uh, provider group has been struggling to, uh, to get moms to come in. And so they asked us to work with them um, and the early results we're getting. And these are with the folks who have not come in before. Um, so this is the, I call it the hard to reach group. We, they've already sort of gotten the low hanging fruit. So these are the folks who are pretty resistant to, to, to come in. Um, and I think, you know, I don't need to tell you the horrors that can happen when kids don't get a polio vaccine or don't, you know, that when they don't get the vaccines, these are sometimes life or death kinds of, of, of issues. And so we want these babies uh, to, to get the vaccines that they, that they uh, should get. Um, and what we are finding with our two-way SMS, um, including some outbound calling, um, is getting results that are just kind of unheard of um, in terms of getting parents, to, moms and dads to bring their babies in. So if, uh, that is an example of the kind of success we're having um, with a hard-to-reach group that nothing else has worked. But it turns out if you, if you design a linguistically, culturally trusted approach and you reach out to people in a way that they're comfortable with and you're willing to take the time to answer their questions um, and you're, you'll provide a Spanish-speaking doctor who's culturally appropriate to answer their questions, if you do all these things, it turns out you can get these, these moms and dads to bring those kids in. And, and that, to, to me, is an example of what we uh, have, have been able to do now. And if you think about sort of uh, uh, expanding that to other, health, other issues um, and to other provider groups, we think we can, we can be an important part of the solution to, uh, to increasing the care that this hard-to-reach group gets. Well, thank you very much, Abner. We're out of time, uh, but that was a great story, and it was so great uh, catching up with you. And we'll be following closely and bring you back on when, uh, uh, as you continue to grow and, and expand and provide this much-needed service to Spanish-speaking people here in the U.S. So thank you very much, Abner, and I wish you the best of luck. 
Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Great talking to you. Bye. Bye.